We are in session number 17 in our series of studies in the life of Moses. And we are right now this evening in chapter 33 of the book of Exodus. Chapter 33 of the book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn it to that particular chapter. Now this evening, we are going to look at a very important uh, topic or a thought here is what would we want? Would we want the blessings of God or would we want the presence of God in our lives? All the gifts that God gives to us are would we want the giver himself? Would we want heaven with all that we understand about heaven is without the presence of Jesus? Ah, does that make no sense at all? These are some thoughts that we will be thinking on as we look at this chapter this evening. Now, remember, Exodus is all about the God who makes himself known. Okay, he has shown himself to Moses. He has shown himself to uh, Pharaoh. He's shown himself to the Egyptians. He's shown himself to the Israelites. He has shown himself to the nations. People around knew the God of the Jews, Yahweh is definitely you know, a great God. So he has revealed who he is and what he is like, showing that he is indeed the God of power, of signs, of wonders, delivering them from the Egyptians, taking them through the Red Sea. He is the God who makes himself known. But in this chapter, if you notice, there is a significant change as it were. Because here the Lord says, look here, okay, I told you about the promised land. I will send my angel and he will take you there, but I myself am not going to go there with you. Okay, Now that was a shocker for the children of Israel. It really shook them up. You know, they said, How can God say something like this? Why did he say like that, that he would not be with them? Because he said, these guys are refusing to obey. These guys are beginning to worship the idols that they have created for themselves when I've specifically told them you should not do it. And if I'm going to be with them, then you know, things would be bad for them because I'm going to judge them for what they are doing. They are a stiff-necked people. They are not going to change whatsoever. So he's upset with them. He's angry with them. And as a result, God says, I'm not going to be there with you anymore. Now, the question we must ask ourselves is, you know, what is our understanding of God? For a lot of people, God is someone who is way up there, okay? He does not see, he does not care, he is there. A lot of people say, yes, I believe there is a God who exists. But he being operational, being present in the lives of people in the world today, in our own personal lives, they say, hey, that I really do not understand, <laughs> okay? So here were these individuals who were basically saying, okay, you are saying you are not going to be there with us. That is not going to you know, be palatable for us. We are not going to take that lying down. And for that, we must definitely give credit to the Israelites. A lot of people would have said, okay, as long as we are going to go to the promised land, you know, what difference does it make whether God is going to be there with us or not? But that's not what the Israelites did. The Israelites were very upset. In fact, the word that is used there in the scriptures is, you know, 
a disastrous word. When they heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And that is something that we must definitely think on. The presence of God is very, very important. And this evening, that's the thought I would like to ask you to think on. Are you sensitive to the presence of God in your life? Now, oftentimes we would pray for individuals to say and, and pray a prayer and say, Lord, be with them, be with them, or Lord, bless them. You know, it's, yeah, now, we think these are like general words that we pray. But when we pray and ask God to be with them, that is really a tremendous, powerful prayer. If we really mean what we are saying, because nothing can be more important <coughs> than the very presence of God in our lives, isn't it? Nothing is more important than the very presence of God. So this evening, ask yourself, are you sensitive to God's presence? Do you recognize that he's there with you in your situation? Or do you think he's someone way up there, not really involved? I believe in God, but I don't know where he is. No, no. The God of the Bible is a God who is very much with us. That is the God of the scriptures, isn't it? Emmanuel, God with us. So, look at the blessing and the presence, okay? Are these two different things or should they be in one package? Do we want only the blessing, presence of God is there with us or not? That is not really important. Or are we saying, Lord, even if I don't have anything, you know, if your presence is there with me, that's most important to me. In Exodus chapter 2, the question of the Israelites in, a, in their suffering was, does God see? Does he remember? Does he know? Remember when they were suffering in the land of Egypt? These are questions that they were asking God. So many years we've been here. You said you're going to be with us. Look what's happening. Things are getting tough and tough. Now the question is, it's not the question of does God see, does he remember? Because they have been in a seeing what he is doing in their lives. They have seen the pillar of cloud <coughs> day and night. All these things, visible signs of his presence and his working, they are seeing. But now the question is, is he going to be there with us? Is he going to be with us? I'm no longer going to go with you, okay, because of all the rampant idolatry that is there in the camp. The question they are asking is, you know, is he going to be there with us? Now, remember when God says that <clears throat> I will not go up with you because you are a stiff-necked people, it was a message of judgment, but it was also a message of mercy. When God uh, uh, sent the Adam and Eve away from the garden. Yes, it was a message of judgment because of their disobedience. But it was also a message of mercy because the scripture tells us, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. God did not want them to be in that state forever. God was going to send Jesus into this world so that they can be reconciled back. Similarly here, it was a message of judgment. But it was also a message of mercy because if they were going to continue to behave the way they were behaving, then God would definitely send out a lot more punishment. So this is where also the grace of God comes in even in the midst of the judgment and the punishment where the Lord says, I will still give you the land of Canaan. I have not forgotten my covenant 
with your fathers. He says, you're still going to go to the promised land. I made my word. I'm not going to go back from that word. I'm definitely going to keep my promise on that. But this one of me going to be with you, hey, that's not going to be possible because of the type of life that you have been living. Phil Riken, a Bible commentator on the book of Exodus, puts it across this way, interesting way. He says, they were still booked for the promised land, but God had cancelled his reservation. Their reservations, but God had cancelled his reservation. That was a problem. Now, said, if you are in that situation, God himself says, look here, you're still going to go there to this place that I've spoken about, a land with flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going to go with you. Okay, that's okay. You know, how do you say, no, no, Lord, if you're not going to go with us, you know, then how can we proceed? Look at the response now of the people to the absence of God's presence. Look at that response. The first thing that they did was, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They mourned. You know? Response, isn't it? Yes, these guys were hard-hearted people who had made their own idols and, and said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. But now, when they recognize God means business, that is not going to go with them. They recognize the truth of the matter that what really matters is the presence of God in their lives. And they recognize that God is saying he's not going to be there with them because of their sin. And as a result, they mourn. They mourn. John Piper puts it across this way and he says, if you could have heaven with all of your family and friends there, if you could be reunited with your loved ones, have all the food you loved, see beautiful sunsets, play a lot of games, go to the beaches, the mountains, and whatever you are into. But Jesus wasn't there. Is it still heaven? And would you still want to go? And would you still want to go? And that's really a thought that we must turn uh, seriously ask ourselves. Is that that mourning in our lives when God says, I'm going to punish you because you are disobeying me? Do we really want God or do we want only his gifts? Here, the children of Israel, the Israelites recognized that they had upset God and as a result, they mourned for their sins. When was the last time that you really mourned for your sin? When was the last time? When was the last time you looked at all the material possessions in your life and told God, God, all this is worthless and meaningless if I don't have your presence with me. Take it all away. I don't deserve anything of it, but have mercy on me, a sinner. And that is what these individuals really did. They saw that their sin had grieved God. If our hearts are not stirred to repentance, then we have really gone far away from God. The second thing they do, if you notice, is to take off their ornaments, to take off their ornaments. 
I mean, say, from where did they get all these ornaments? They had just come out of Egypt, you know, for so many years. They didn't have any salaries. They had no money. You know, they left the land of Egypt. From where did they get all this jewelry? Remember, when they were leaving you know, Egypt, they asked the Egyptians for clothing and jewelry. And the Egyptians gave it to them, the scripture tells us, because the Lord gave them favor in the sight of their Egyptians. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians, they plundered the Egyptians. Maybe part of this jewelry was also their gods and goddesses that they had made into gold and they were wearing it. Could be. In Genesis chapter 35, when Jacob, we will see this in, a, in chapter 35, when Jacob led his family in a covenant renewal at Bethel, in doing so, he gave them, he asked them rather, to give up their foreign gods. They took off the earrings from their ears. That doesn't mean that all earrings are bad, but obviously there was some association with pagan adultery. Maybe, you know, there was a frog goddess or a little amulet to, you know, the god Ra, whatever. Anything to do with the past, anything to do with their you know, worship of other gods or any idolatrous practices, you know, they had to remove off. God told them and they did it. Okay? Now, this is the great irony of idolatry. When they made that golden calf, they wanted a god they could see. That's why they made it. And then remember what they said here, O Israel, these are the gods that delivered you out of Egypt. Nah? So they said, you can see this God, you can dance before this God, you can go around this God, you can touch this God. You had a part in creating it. Now they wanted a God who would be closer to them. But God's saying now, your idolatrous practices have removed me in a faraway distance from you. And that is really the tragedy of idolatry. We make idols in our own images and we worship it because we think that that would bring us closer to God. That will give us a, a different experience of God. But what God is really saying is by worshiping these idols, anything that replaces God in our lives, we have actually distanced God from our lives. Remember, idolatry is always the pursuit of short-term gain for the assurance of long-term loss. The pursuance of uh, the pursuit of short-term gain for the assurance of long-term loss. They thought they were smart, but what really happened was they lost out on God's presence. So important principle number one: there is no blessing apart from God with us. There is no blessing apart from God with us. If God is not going to be with us, it's useless. We may have all the pleasures in this world. We may have all the good things in this world. But if God is not going to be with us, it is useless. So ask yourself, how much do you crave God's presence? And how much you recognize God's presence in your life even today? Then in verses 7 to 11, we read about the example of the loss of God's presence. God says, hey, look here, let me show you how it will be 
if I'm not going to be there with you. So, first of all, we see that instead of God permanently dwelling in the midst of the people, we see a temporary tent that was set outside the camp. Remember in the previous chapters, you know, it speaks about the tabernacle and what should be there and how God's presence was going to be there in the midst of them. Now, because of you know, what they were doing, God says, okay, I want you to set up this you know, tent outside the camp, not in the midst of the people, but outside the camp. That is the first, uh, if you were to say, the uh, an example of the loss of God's presence. Instead of God permanently dwelling in the midst of the people, there was a temporary tent that was set up outside the camp. And verse 7 tells us that Moses would go, you know, during his time, the time of turmoil and pitch this tent outside the camp. But he pitched it far off from the camp, far off from the camp, as a testimony or as an example of how their relationship with God was broken and how Israel, because of their sin, God was not going to be present with them, but he was going to be far away from them. And that was going to be a, a visible reminder to them. He is no longer going to be there with you. He is going to be far away from you. And that's an example. How do we sense that we have lost God's presence? Sense his presence anymore. Or when God's presence seems far away, and it's not that he is not there, but you know, you know, you don't feel his presence very close. He is far, far away. But in contrast to what the Israelites were facing, there was also an example of one individual who was still able to come into the presence of God. So this was the compare and the contrast. Here was a group of people for whom God was far away. <clears throat> that was a symbol of the loss of God's presence. But on the other hand, there was another man, Moses, who was able to get into the very presence of God in order to show them what they had actually lost. So the second example is one Israelite who was still on intimate terms with Yahweh and who was talking with him face to face. And this person was Moses himself, Moses himself. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the scripture tells us that he was crucified outside the camp. The scripture tells us that when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And the veil of the temple, the curtain, the thick curtain in the temple, which separated the people from the Holy of Holies, that was rent in two. Now here, Moses could go into the very presence of God, which was outside the camp, which was going to be a type or an example of what Jesus was going to do for us in the New Testament and for us today, of how he was crucified outside the camp and as a result, he became the perfect and a intercessor for us. He became the individual through his death, burial, and resurrection, having paid for our sins. Now we have access into God's presence so that we can meet with him face to face. How could this happen? The estrangement was there. Now we have been brought close. 
this happened because we have an intercessor. Just as much as Moses was an intercessor in the Old Testament times for the children of Israel, now we have an intercessor in Jesus himself. This is the principle number two that we can learn from here. We require an intercessor with God. <clears throat> when sin blocks our relationship with him, when sin makes sinner a sinner feel that God is far away, when we come before God, intercessor through Jesus, we confess our sins to him, he forgives us, he cleanses us, then we draw near to him, then he draws near to us. The intercessor part of what Jesus plays for us is so very important. Now let's move, at, uh, move on and look at what did the, what intercession or what prayer did Moses really pray to God, okay? And this we read in verses 12 to 14 of chapter 33, okay? The first one he says, Lord, I want you to be with me. Verse 12 says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Again, the Lord says, my presence shall go with you. Okay. If you notice, you know, he mentions this you know, so many times in different, different ways. If I found favor in your sight, now that I may know you, that I may you know, know your ways. All this is a way of uh, now Moses saying, Lord, would you really be with me? That's all that I'm asking you. Now, please be with me. Okay. It's like a little child, you know, a child who is you know, maybe scared of the dark, a child who is scared of, you know, going to a new place. And the child would say, as long as the parents are there with the child, the child is relieved. The child is happy. And that's the prayer that Moses prays. Lord, please be with me. Have you prayed this type of a prayer to God? God, I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid of the unknowns. I'm afraid of you know all the fears that I have may happen. And I'm asking you, Lord, Please be with me. And the Lord tells him, you know, very clearly, he says, you know, I am going to be with you. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And that's what happens in our lives. Maybe even this evening, we are afraid of the future. We are afraid of you know, things that are happening around us. And if we come before God and pray to him and say, Lord, the same way that the Lord revealed himself to him, showed his presence to him, and encouraged him to say, yes, my presence shall go with you. The same God would also encourage you this evening, and you too would be able to have that assurance. Yes, the Lord is with me. And when you know that God is with you, then you can face any situation, isn't it? Goliath, no problem, you know. David looked at the giant and he says, no problem. Why? Because he knew that God was with him. So no opposition, no problem, no mountain that is so big, you know, you cannot handle. Why? Because God is there with you. 
And that is the assurance we can have. So this evening, if you're going through whatever situation, come before God and say, Lord, please be with me. The Lord will answer with that assurance. My presence will go with you. Now, that's the first prayer that he makes. The second prayer that he makes is, please be with us. Okay. He says, it's not just for me I'm asking, Lord. You have said that these people, you are not going to be with them. Now, let me be a little more bolder and say, yes, you made that statement, but you know, how about me asking you, would you go along with us? Would you go along with us? And look at his logic in his prayer. He says, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people? So he says, Lord, okay, you have said I have found favor with you, and as a result, you're going to go with me. Fine. Now I'm saying if I have found favor with you, then these are all your people with whom you have made a covenant. Would you also not go with them? And he specifically points across an important phrase over there. He says, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? He distinguishes the nation of Israel from other nations. Lord, is your presence with us? You know, that's what they see. They recognize that the God of the Israelites is a different God. Now, if you're not going to be with us, our identity would be lost. How the word Christian came into being world saw Christ living in the disciples and they gave them a nickname Christian, Christ in you. They said, we are seeing Christ in you and that's how we are naming you as Christian. We get our identity of who we are because the world notices us. But the question we must ask ourselves this evening is, does the world really notice our distinctiveness because they see Christ in us. Or, oh, this is another religion they are following. They are just like us. They do the same wrong things like us. How do they recognize our distinctiveness? Moses tells God, God, the people of Israel get their distinctiveness because you are with them. And that should be really our goal, isn't it? Lord, when I'm living in the world, let the people see you in me that my identity comes not from who I am in my learning, in my work, in my family. My identity comes in my relationship with you. So he says, Lord, please be with us. The third request that he makes before God is <clears throat> a little more bolder. You look at now his progression. Lord, first be with me. Then he says, be with us, the whole nation. And then he becomes a little more bolder and he says, Lord, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. God's glory, all the miracles that he saw performed, that God used him to perform, that he had with God at the burning bush, had he not seen the glory of God. But now he's not satisfied with all that. He wants fuller picture. He wants a face-to-face -face glory. This is the heart of Moses. The heart of Moses is, Lord, I'm not satisfied in my relationship with you. Yes, you are there with me. Yes, you are there with my people. 
fine. But Lord, I want more of you. I want to know you more. I want to see your glory. Is that your heart this evening? Is your heart really crying out to God and say, God, I want to know you more, Lord. I'm happy with all that you have given, but still I want more, Lord. I'm dissatisfied in a way because I want to see more of you. Now, remember, when you look at the sun, you can look at the sun only for a short time, isn't it? Because if you stare too long at the bright sun, it will damage your eyes. You, know? you can feel the sun, you will be illuminated by the sun, but you can't really stare at the sun. And that is similar with God showing his glory. That is why the Lord says, okay, you know, I will show you my glory, but you can't really look at me. I will show you only my backside. Now, this doesn't mean that God has a back, you know, but this is a, a figure of speech to say that you won't see my face because you really can't see my face in all its glory. But there's an interesting truth over there where God reveals himself you know, to Moses. Okay? He says primarily two things. He says, I will proclaim, and in verse 19, I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The important truth over here is we are saying we want to see God, and God says, sight comes through. Sight comes through the ears. Now you may say, how does it come through the ears? Okay. We are used to the visuals, okay? But a blind person, if you notice, his ears are much more sensitive. And through the years, they can see, you know. And that is the important truth that God is communicating to Moses and to us also over here. Where he's speaking this important truth. Yes, we want to see God, see his glory. God says, yes. How is it going to happen? He says, I will proclaim before you my name. My name. When we begin to understand who God is, Okay, through his word, as God speaks to us, we get a new understanding, a revelation of his glory. And then he also says, I will show you my goodness. You know, what is the goodness of God? He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Okay, now this is what God is telling us over here. Okay. So a question here, you know, may arise, you know, God has just said that I'm not going to be with you guys. How can God really be good? When God's saying, I will cause my goodness, he's also saying, I will do this on whom I would want to do this. Okay. So he's saying, I'm revealing myself to you in who I really am, in my character, in my name. Okay. And he's saying, this is who I am. And if you are able to grasp this truth, then you have really seen my glory. This is why as we study God's word, God reveals himself to us. And as God reveals himself to us, we really understand his glory. This is why John, when he writes about Jesus coming into this world, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, full 
of grace and truth. Jesus, we saw his glory. You know, how did we see his glory? We saw his grace. We saw his truth. We heard what he was doing, what he was saying. And in the uh, epistle you know, of John, he says, that which we have seen, which our hands have handled, he says, the intimacy that we are able to have recognized with you when you were here or not, that's the glory that we declare to you. That's an important question this evening. Are you really hungering for God's glory, that you would know God in a more intimate manner? Or are you just happy to say, I've made a commitment, I know I'm going to heaven as long as I'm going to heaven, that's all that matters. I'm not worried about God's presence in my life. No, no, no. It's the presence of God in our lives every day. That's where we come to principle number three. God's presence is experienced not by compulsion, but according to his grace and mercy. According to his grace and mercy mercy. Let's learn to look to Christ, glory, rest in him and tell him, Lord, this is my heart's desire. So in closing, some practical thoughts over here. Have you seen God's glory? Have you seen God's glory? George Burna surveyed thousands of church-going Christians and he asked this question, have you ever experienced God in a worship service? Ask yourself this question yourself. Have you ever experienced God in a worship service? Only one third said that they actually experienced God in church. This book, Exit Interviews, is about why today's generation is leaving the church. And he summarizes the views of many worship dropouts. And perhaps the most common complaint was that worship services were boring. It was not just that these gatherings were not interesting, they were not worshipful. They did little to help people meet God. For a moment, for your own worship service, wherever you may be attending, do you meet with God during a worship service? Or is it just a religion that you follow? Sally, writing in Worship Evangelism, says, When personal interaction with God is absent, church loses much of its appeal. When personal interaction with God is absent, church loses much of its appeal. When was the last time you experienced the presence of God in a worship service? When was the last time? Why do we go to church? Why do we worship? Is it just a routine that we do? Or is it really to meet with God, to encounter God? So let's look at what is worship. What is worship? I'm sure you must know this, that worship comes from an old English word that means worship. That means worship. Okay. With that definition in mind, we don't worship God for what we get out of it but to give to God the honor that is due to him, recognizing his worth, his value, his place in our church, and his claim on our lives. That's what worship is. We don't go for a worship service to get something out of it, but we go to worship God because we are saying, Lord, you are worthy of all worship. And if he's worthy of all worship, then we must definitely have an encounter with him. Worship, therefore, is not a weekly pep talk to rally people together. 
Worship is not a motivational seminar to make us feel good about ourselves. Worship is not a Christian alternative to a music concert. Worship occurs when people encounter God who loves them and desires a relationship with them. And Robert Weber, in his book, you know, Worship Old and New, says this so clearly, where he says, you know, worship is a meeting between God and his people. Worship is a meeting between God and his people. In other words, worship does not lead to an encounter with God. It is an encounter with God. Worship is having an encounter with God. Is that what you really have? When you come before God and worship, whether it's in your private times, your private devotions in your worshiping, or when you come in a, in a church service to worship, do you have an encounter with God? Because that's what worship is really all about. Now, if that is what worship is, what is needed in worship? Two important things. Two important things. Number one, a hunger for God. A hunger for God. Moses asked this question, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. He was not interested in you know, more information. You know? What he was really saying is, Lord, I want to sign up with you for life. Not just a chapter of it. I want to walk into eternity with you. That was his heart's desire. Lord, teach me your ways. I'm not just happy having signed on the first line to say, now I have become a believer. No, no. That's not what I'm interested in. Lord, I want to follow after you. Teach me your ways. Moses really hungered for God. He longed for God. He realized that nothing else in this world can compare to the experience of being with God. He had a passion for God's presence. They say you have a passion for his presence this evening. Remember, you can have all the head knowledge to say, yes, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I've accepted him into my life. I know when I die, I will go to heaven. All that is head knowledge. But can you really say that you know God's presence in your life? Have you experienced? Are you experiencing his presence? You know? That is what a hunger is all about. Not just information about food, but you have tasted of that food and you can testify and say, hey, this food is good. That is what hungering after God is all about. Secondly, what is needed is an encounter with God, an encounter with God. Moses was frank before God and says, please show me, please show me your glory. Do you really long for this? Lord, please reveal yourself to me. Lord, let me know more of you. <laughs> when you come to church, are you tired of business as usual? You're going through the motions, you come Sunday after Sunday, now it's all online worship services, you know, but your heart is not stirred whatsoever. You start the service, you end the service, you didn't even know when it started, when it ended, you know, no change whatsoever. Not only do we need to hunger after God, we need to have an encounter with God. Because when we have an encounter with God, there's a transformation that takes place in our lives. In closing, what do we need to do? What are some practical things, simple things that we can you know, do, some life-changing actions that we can take so that we can experience God's revealed presence in worship? Five important things. Number one, anticipate God's revealed presence in worship. Expect Him. 
long for it. When you come before God in your private devotions or in your uh, corporate worship setup, you know, anticipate that God is going to be there and you come here to worship Him. If you don't anticipate God's presence, you won't really feel His presence. You won't recognize that He is there. So the first important thing is you open yourself in anticipation for God's presence. Secondly, once you have that anticipation, begin to look for God's hand at work in worship of how he is revealing his glory to you. It could be through different, different things, isn't it? It could be through a Bible passage. It could be through a song. It could be just through the quietness. Look for God's hand. If God is there, you want to have an encounter with God. God is saying, I'm going to show myself. So look, look for God's hand at work in worship. <laughs> Thirdly, listen for God's voice. Listen for God's voice. The beauty of it is that our God is a God who speaks. He's not an idol who is dumb. Our God is a God who speaks. So listen for God's voice. He wants to speak to us. He is willing to speak. He is speaking. The question is, we need to listen. Fourthly, open yourself up to new manifestations of God's presence. In other words, don't put God in a box and say, God will speak to me only like this, or God will show himself only like this. Be open to allow God to do what he wants to, to reveal himself to you. Okay? And fifthly, be sensitive to the leadership of God's Spirit. As God reveals himself, be sensitive and allow God to take you into the next level, the next level, the next level. And be a person like Moses, maybe, for this generation, whom God would use to bring many other people to himself. Let me close with this uh, quote by A.W. Tozer. He writes, The world is perishing for lack of the knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for want of his presence. The instant cure of most of our religious ills would be to enter the presence and spiritual experience to become suddenly aware that we are in God and that God is in us. This would lift us out of our pitiful narrowness and cause our hearts to be enlarged. This would burn away the impurities from our lives as the bugs and the fungi were burned away by the fire that dwelt in the bush. And my prayer is that this evening, as God has spoken to our hearts, we too would cry out like Moses, Lord, please be with me. Please be with us. Lord, we want to see glory. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you for all that you have shown us and taught us. And even as you have taught us so very clearly, Lord, that your presence is so much more important than anything of your blessings, your gifts. Father, we pray that we will hunger for your presence every day, that we'll be sensitive, anticipate your presence, be willing to listen to your voice, be willing to see your hand at work, Lord, so that we can know that this is where our distinctiveness as your children come in, because we are people who hear your voice. We are people to whom you speak, and we have a relationship with you. We pray, Lord, that even this coming week, our life in you would become much more vibrant as we sense your presence, hunger for you, 
and allow you to lead us. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.